Happy Halloween to all those who celebrate and to all those who don't. Happy Halloween anyway. This is a special episode of the Pool Cleaner Hour. We'll be going over a fairly recent and horrifying story that was originally published in January 25, 2014 in the Indianapolis Star by journalist Marissa Kwiatkowski. This is the story of a modern-day exorcism, and I'll be reading it in its entirety. So sit back and relax in your mind's pool to heat up or cool down. Whatever you'd like, it's your pool. I'm just here to make it cozy. A woman and three children who claim to be possessed by demons. A nine-year-old boy walking backward up a wall in the presence of a family case manager and a hospital nurse. Gary Police Captain Charles Austin said it was the strangest story he had ever heard. Austin, a 36-year veteran of the Gary Police Department, said he initially thought Indianapolis resident Latoya Amunds and her family concocted an elaborate tale as a way to make money. But after several visits to their home and interviews with witnesses, Austin simply said, I am a believer. Not everyone involved with the family was inclined to believe this incredible story, and many readers will find Almond's supernatural claims impossible to accept. But whatever the cause of these creepy occurrences that befell the family, whether they were seized by a systematic delusion or demonic possession, it led to one of the most unusual cases ever handled by the Department of Child Services. Many of the events are detailed in nearly 800 pages of the official records obtained by the Indianapolis Star and recounted in more than a dozen interviews with the police, DCS personnel, psychologists, family members, and even a Catholic priest. Almonds, who swears by her story, has been unusually open. While she spoke on condition her children not to be interviewed or named, she signed releases letting the Star review medical, psychological, and official records that are not open to the public and not always flattering. Furthermore, the family story is made only more bizarre because it involves a DCS intervention, a string of psychological evaluations, a police investigation, and ultimately, a series of exorcisms. It's a tale, they say, that started with flies. In November of 2011, the Ammons family moved into a rental house on Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. A quiet lane lined with small one-story homes. Big black flies suddenly swarmed their screened-in porch in December, despite the winter chill. This is not normal, Almond's mother, Rosa Campbell, remembers thinking. We killed them, and we killed them and killed them, but they kept coming back. There were other strange happenings, too, at this time. After midnight, Campbell and Ammons both said they occasionally heard the steady clump of footsteps climbing the basement stairs and the creak of the door opening between the basement and the kitchen, although no one was there. Even after they locked the door, the noise continued. Campbell said she awoke one night and saw a shadowy figure of a man pacing her living room. She leapt out of bed to investigate and found large, wet boot prints. On March 10, 2012, Campbell said, the family's on ease turned to fear. It was about 2 a.m. Normally, Campbell, Almonds, and her children would have been fast asleep, but they are mourning the death of a loved one with a group of friends. Ammons, 
who was in Campbell's home, startled everybody by screaming, Mama! Mama! Campbell said she ran into her bedroom, where her then 12-year-old granddaughter and a friend were staying. Ammons and Campbell said their 12-year-old was levitating above the bed, on conscience. According to their record of events, Ammons and several others surrounded the girl praying. Campbell said she remembers being absolutely terrified. I thought, what is going on? She said, why is this happening? Eventually, Campbell said her granddaughter descended back to the bed. The girl woke up with no memory of what had happened. Campbell and Almond said the people were visiting that night refused to return. Campbell remembers telling her daughter, we need help. We need to talk to someone who knows how to deal with it. Campbell said they didn't know exactly what it was, but they believed it was obviously something supernatural. They called local churches, but most of them refused to listen. Eventually, after listening to the two talk about the house and visiting it, officials at one church told them the Carolina Street house had spirits in it. They recommended the family clean the home with bleach and ammonia, then use oil to draw crosses on every door and every window. At the church's suggestion, they poured olive oil over her three children's hands and feet, then smeared oil in the shape of crosses on their foreheads. Campbell also told the Star they reached out to two clairvoyants, who said the family's home was besieged by more than 200 demons. Their explanation made sense to Campbell, they say, because it meshed with their Christian faith. The best thing you can do is move. Almonds remember the clairvoyants telling her, but moving wasn't an option for the crash-strapped family. Instead, Almonds said she took a clairvoyant's advice and made an altar in the basement. Almonds covered an end table with a white sheet, then placed a white candle and a statue of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus on it. She opened a Bible to Psalm 91. She said she and another person donned white t-shirts and wound white scarves over their heads. Also on a clairvoyant's advice, they burned sage and sulfur throughout the house, starting upstairs and working their way down. They said the smoke was so thick, they could hardly breathe. The person she was with read Psalms 91 aloud as they moved through the house, the psalm being, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Almond said nothing happened for three days, but then things got much worse. The family said demons possessed almonds and her children, then ages 7, 9, and 12. The kids' eyes bulged, evil smiles crossed their faces, and their voices deepened every time it happened. Campbell said the demons didn't affect her because she was born with protection from evil. She said she and others like her have a guardian who protects them. Almonds, though, said she felt weak, lightheaded, and warm when she was possessed. Her body shook, and she said she fell out of control. You can tell it's different. Something supernatural. The youngest boy, then seven, sat in a closet talking to a boy that no one else could see. The other boy was describing what it felt like to be murdered. Campbell said the seven-year-old flew out of the bathroom as if he'd been thrown, and a headboard once smacked into Almond's daughter, causing a wound that needed stitches. The twelve-year-old would later tell mental health professionals that she sometimes felt as if she were being choked and held down so she couldn't speak or move. She said she heard a voice said she'd never see her family again and wouldn't live for another 20 minutes. Some nights were so bad, the family moved to sleep at a hotel. Finally, in desperation, they went to their family physician, Dr. Jeffrey, on April 19th, 2012. Almond said she told him that what they were going through, hoping he might understand. However, the doctor told the star it was bizarre. 
20 years and I've never heard anything like this in my life, he said. I was scared myself when I walked into the room. He said he would not speak in more detail unless Almonds had psychiatric clearance for the waiver of confidentiality which she signed. In his medical notes about the visit, he wrote Delusions of Ghost in a Home and Hallucination. He wrote History of Ghosts at Home and Delusional multiple times. What Almonds and Camel say happened next was detailed in a DCS report of the family's case manager's interviews with medical staff. Campbell said Almond's son cursed at the doctor in demonic voices, raging at him. Medical staff said the youngest boy was lifted and thrown into the wall with no one touching him. And this was all in a DCS official report. The boys abruptly passed out and wouldn't come too. She cradled one boy in her arms as Almond held the other. Someone from the doctor's office called 911. The doctor said seven or eight police officers and multiple ambulances showed up. Everyone was... Well, they couldn't figure out what was happening, Dr. Jeffrey recalled. Police and emergency personnel took the boys to the Methodist Hospital campus in Gary, Indiana. Ammons said the hospital personnel laughed at her desire to anoint her sons in olive oil. I couldn't talk to them, she said, so I talked to God. The boys woke up in the hospital. The older boy, then nine, acted rationally, but the youngest started screaming and thrashing. It took five men to hold him down. Meanwhile, someone called DCS and asked the agency to investigate the almonds for possible child abuse or neglect. The caller, who was not named in the report, speculated that almonds might have had a mental illness and may have been inflicting these things on the children. The person believed the children were performing for almonds and she was encouraging their behavior. DCS family case manager Valerie Washington was asked to handle the initial investigation. She gave the following account to police and her intake officer's report. Hospital personnel examined almonds and her children and found them to be healthy and free of marks or bruises. A hospital psychiatrist evaluated almonds and determined that she was, in fact, of sound mind. Washington interviewed the family in the hospital, and while she spoke with almonds, the seven-year-old boy started growling with his teeth showing, and then his eyes rolled to the back of his head. The boy locked his hands around his older brother's throat and refused to let go until several adults had to pry his hands open. Later that evening, Washington and registered nurse Willie Lee Walker brought the two boys into a small exam room for an interview, where Campbell would join them. The seven-year-old stared into his brother's eyes and began to growl. It's time to die, the boy said in a deep, unnatural voice. I will kill you. While the youngest boy spoke, the older brother started headbutting Campbell in the stomach. Campbell grabbed her grandson's hands and started praying. What happened next would rattle the witnesses, and to some it would offer not only evidence, but proof of paranormal activity. According to Washington's official DCS report, an account corroborated by Willie Lee Walker, the nurse, the nine-year-old had a weird grin and walked backwards up the wall to the ceiling. He then flipped over Campbell, landing on his feet, and he never let go of his grandmother's hands. He walked up the wall, flipped over her, and stood there, Walker told the star. There's absolutely no physical way a boy could have done that. Later, police asked Washington whether the boy had run up the wall as though performing an acrobatic trick. Washington said no. The boy glided backwards on the floor, the wall, and to the ceiling. Washington did not respond to the Indianapolis Star's request for more comments. But she did tell police she was scared when it happened and ran out of the room. As for Willie Lee, Washington said he ran out of the room with me. 
We didn't know what was going on, he told this star. It was crazy. I was like, everybody, we gotta get out of here. We gotta go. According to Washington's report, they told a doctor what happened. The doctor, who did not believe them, asked the boy to walk up the wall again. Walker said he told the doctor he doubted the boy could repeat the feat. This kid was not himself when he did that, Walker said. The boy said he didn't remember what happened and couldn't do it, according to Washington's report. Walker, who had previously believed in demons and spirits, thought the boy's behavior had some demonic spirit to it, but also could have been the result of a mental illness. A police report quoted Washington saying she believed there could be an evil influence affecting the family. Amon said she spent the night at the hospital with her seven-year-old son, while Campbell took Amon's daughter and older son to a relative's home nearby in Gary. The next day was Amon's youngest son's eighth birthday. Amon said DCS officials asked Campbell to bring the older child back to the hospital, presumably to talk about more as to what happened. The family celebrated the boy's birthday by singing and eating a small cake. Then Almond said Washington told them the children would not be going home. DCS took the emergency step of taking custody of the children without a court order. All of the children were experiencing spiritual and emotional distress, Washington wrote in this form. Almonds told the star she and her children cried because they did not want to be separated. We had already been going through so much and fought so hard for our lives, she recalled. It was obvious we were a team and we were beating it. Whatever we were fighting, we made it through as a team. But then they separated us. The Reverend Michael Maganot was leading Bible study in his living room the morning of April 20th, 2012, when he received a call from the hospital chaplain. Michael had been the priest at St. Stephen Martyr Parish in Merrillville for more than 10 years, but had never received a request quite like this one. The chaplain asked him to perform an exorcism on Amon's nine-year-old son. Michael Maganot agreed to interview the family after Sunday Mass a few days later. The first step, Maganot said, was ruling out natural causes for what Almonds and her family said they were experiencing. He visited the family in Carolina Street at their home in April 22, 2012 for two hours. Almonds and Campbell detailed the phenomena for him, then Campbell interrupted the interview to point out the flickering bathroom light. The flickering stopped each time Maganot walked over to investigate, which he attributed then to a demonic presence. It must be scared of me, he told the star. The interview was interrupted again when Campbell pointed out Venetian blinds in the kitchen swinging even though there was no air current. Maganoff said he also saw wet footprints throughout the living room. Amons complained about having a headache, and Maganoff said she convulsed when he placed a crucifix against her head. After a four-hour interview, Maganoff said he was convinced the family was being tormented by demons. He said he also believed there were ghosts in the house. Magna blessed the house before he left, praying, reading from the Bible, and sprinkling holy water into each room. He told Almonds and Campbell to leave because it wasn't safe, and they temporarily moved in with a relative. But less than a week later, the two women were back on Carolina Street to let Washington, the DCS family case manager, check the condition of the home. Washington asked a Lake County police officer to come with her. Two other officers, one each from Gary and Hammond Police Departments, asked to join them out of a professional courtesy. Almonds refused to go inside, but Campbell agreed to accompany them. Almonds' kids were still in DCS custody. The main floor had three bedrooms, a living room, one bathroom, hardwood floors, and a small open-style kitchen. A door in the kitchen led to a basement with concrete floors. 
Directly under the stairs was a dirt floor. The concrete around it was jagged, as though it had been broken. The makeshift altar that Almonds had created was still in place, along with rings of salt she had poured against the basement walls to dissuade the demons, according to the Hammond Police Department report. Campbell told officers the demons seemed to emanate from beneath the stairs. Austin, the Gary police captain, was one of those officers. He would later tell the star he believed in ghosts and the supernatural, but said he just couldn't believe in demons. Austin said he changed his mind, though, after visiting the Carolina Street House. During the interview with Campbell, one of the officer's audio recorders malfunctioned, according to Austin in Hammond Police Records. The power light flashed to indicate the batteries were dying, even though the officer had placed fresh batteries in the recorder earlier that day. Another officer recorded audio, and when he played it back later, he heard an unknown voice whisper, Hey! According to the Lake County Police Records. That officer also took photos of the house. In one photo of the basement stairs, there was a cloudy, white image in the upper right-hand corner. When an officer enlarged the photo, the cloud appeared to resemble a face. The enlargement also revealed a second green image that police say looked like a female. Austin said photos he snapped with his iPhone also had strange silhouettes in them. The radio in his police-issued Ford malfunctioned on the way home. Later, Austin said the garage at his Gary home refused to open, even though the power was on everywhere else. He then said the driver's seat in his personal 2005 Infiniti started moving backwards and forward on its own. He had the car checked at the dealership, and the mechanic told him the motor on the driver's seat was broken, which the mechanic said could have caused a distraction leading to an accident. Austin said he found himself then starting to believe Almond's claim of paranormal activity, but the mental health professionals evaluating Almond's and her children remained skeptical. April 2012, DCS petitioned Lake Juvenile Court for temporary wardship of the three children, and the request was granted. DCS found that Almond's neglected her children's education by not having them in school regularly. The agency made the same finding in 2009. Its records show Almonds told Washington there was time she could not send the kids to school because the spirits would make them sick, or they would be up all night without sleep. DCS temporarily placed her daughter and older son at St. Joseph's Carmelette Home in East Chicago. Almonds' youngest son was sent to Christian Haven in Wheatfield for a psychiatric evaluation. Clinical psychologist Stacy Wright, who evaluated Almond's youngest son, said the boy tended to act possessed when he was challenged, redirected, or asked questions he didn't want to answer. In her evaluation, Wright wrote that he seemed coherent and logical, except when he talked about the demons. It was then that the eight-year-old stories became bizarre, fragmented, and illogical, Wright said. His stories changed each time he told them. He also changed the subject, quizzing Wright on math problems and asking her, about outer space. Can you die if you go to space, he would ask. How do you get to space? Do you have to wear a helmet and stuff? Wright believed the eight-year-old did not suffer from a true psychiatric disorder. This appears to be an unfortunate and sad case of a child who has been induced into a delusional system perpetuated by his mother and potentially reinforced by other relatives, she would write in her psychological evaluation. Clinical psychologist Joel Schwartz, who evaluated Almond's daughter and older son, came to a very similar conclusion. There also appears to be a need to assess the extent to which Almond's daughter may have been unduly influenced by her mother's concerns that the family was exposed to these paranormal experiences, Schwartz would write. 
Amon's daughter told Schwartz that she saw shadowy figures in the Carolina Street home. She also said she twice went into trances. Amon's older son told Schwartz that doors would slam shut and stuff would start moving around on its own. Amon's was also examined several times by psychologists who said she was guarded but did not seem to be experiencing symptoms of psychosis or any form of thought disorder. One psychologist recommended Amon's to be assessed to determine whether her religiosity may be masking underlying delusional ideations or perceptual disturbances. However, Almonds and all three kids continue to insist they are possessed by the demons. DCS set goals for the family. One of them stipulated that the children not discuss demons and being possessed and take responsibility for their actions. They also needed to participate in therapy to address past behavior. While DCS officials credited Almonds for sharing a close bond with her children, the agency also said she needed to use alternative forms of discipline, not directly related to religion or demon possessions according to DCS's case plan. Appropriate discipline would include encouragement, rules, and withholding privileges. She could work on those goals during supervised visits with her children. Almonds also said had to find a job and appropriate housing due to the paranormal activity, as she claimed, on the house in Carolina Street. While Almonds worked on meeting those objectives, police and DCS officials continued to investigate the strange happenings in this house. And the group was a bit larger this time. Now it was Campbell, Almonds, Austin, and the two police officers from the initial visit who went to the home on the afternoon of May 10, 2012. The police officers went after work hours. They are joined by Michael Maganock, two Lake County officials with a police dog, and DCS family case manager Samantha Lillick. Lillick, who was there in an official capacity, told the star she volunteered to go in Washington's place because Washington did not want to go back to that house. A county officer took his police dog around the home, but the dog didn't show interest in anything, according to the Lake County Police Records. Everybody else, however, headed into the basement. Lilick touched some strange liquid she saw dripping in the basement and said it felt slippery yet sticky between her fingers. Maganock told police he wanted to check the dirt under the stairs for a pentagram, or perhaps personal objects that might have been cursed. He said a pentagram might indicate a demonic presence in a possible portal to hell, according to a Lake County police report. Or if someone had died in the house and was buried under the stairs, it could explain paranormal activity. One of the police officers dug a four foot by three foot hole under the stairs, unearthing a pink press-on fingernail, a white pair of panties, a political shirt pin, and a lid for a small cooking pan, socks with the bottoms cut off below the ankles, candy wrappers, and a heavy metal object that looked like a weight for a drapery cord. Police records stated this, but they found nothing else. The officer replaced the dirt and raked it over. Maganot then blessed some salt, which he said is a barrier to evil, and spread it under the stairs throughout the basement. Lilik said she was later standing in the living room with the rest of the group when her left pinky finger began to tingle and whiten. She complained it began to feel like it was being broken. Less than 10 minutes later, Lilik said she felt as if she was having a massive panic attack. She couldn't breathe, so she walked outside to wait for the group. When the priest started questioning almonds inside the house, she complained of a headache and shoulder pain. She joined Lilik outside. Austin said he left the house at nightfall. Austin who has been shot at and investigated murders, rapes, armed robberies during his more than three decades on the force, said he would refuse to stay in this house past dark. The other officers continued to walk through the home. 
On the main floor, they noticed an oil-like substance dripping from Venetian blinds in the bedroom, but couldn't figure out where it was coming from. To make sure Campbell and Almonds hadn't poured oil on the blinds, two of the officers used paper towels to clean it off. The officers sealed the room for 25 minutes and stood nearby so nobody could walk in. When they went back in, the oil had reappeared. Maginot told police the liquid was a manifestation of paranormal and demonic presences. He wrote a report detailing his findings and asked Bishop Dale Melkinick's permission to perform an exorcism on the almonds. However, Melkinick had never authorized an exorcism in 21 years as the bishop in the Diocese of Gary. Debbie Bosak, the director of communications for the diocese, said she cannot comment on whether Melzik ever approved an exorcism for confidentiality reasons. In general, she said such an action would require a bishop's approval. Melznick initially denied Magnot's request to do a church-sanctioned exorcism. However, the bishop told Magnot to contact other priests who have performed these exorcisms. Magnot said he needed other priests to give him the ritual for a minor exorcism, which does not require church approval. The priests he consulted, in fact, told him to look it up on the internet. <laughs> I'm trying to read this through straight, but that one got me. It's so stupid. <laughs> Give me a second. He said he did an intense blessing on the Carolina Street home to expel bad spirits that same day. Magnot performed a minor exorcism on almonds. The ritual consisted of prayers, statements, and appeals to cast out demons. Two police officers and Lilick, the DCS family case manager, attended the ritual. Lilick said she left believing that something was going on, although she wouldn't go as far as saying it was demonic. She said she got chills during the nearly two-hour rite. We felt like someone was in the room with you, someone breathing down your neck. Lilick said she had a string of medical problems after visiting the home. A week after she visited the house for the last time, Lilick said she got third-degree burns from a motorcycle. Within 30 days, she also broke three ribs jet skiing. She broke a hand when she hit a table, then broke an ankle running in flip-flops. I had friends who wouldn't talk to me because they believed that something had attached itself to me, Lilick said. Her joking response was, I'm already evil. They try to find something that's not evil and corrupted. They wouldn't waste their time on me. After the minor ritual, Magnot told Almonds to look up the names of demons that were tormenting her. Because each demon has a name and personality, Magnot said. A name has power, the priest added, and he planned to use those names to fight the demons during the exorcisms. Almond said she and a friend looked up demons' names on the internet by searching for demons that represented the problems the family had been having. But the computer kept shutting down, and she kept feeling sick and lightheaded. But, eventually, they found names that fit. One such of these names was Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. Almond said she said they also found names of demons that torture and hurt children, which she felt experienced what happened in the Carolina Street home. She also found high-ranking demons were also assigned to her, including lieutenants and sergeants. After the minor rite, Magnot said Bishop Melzek gave him permission to exercise the almonds. 
The ritual is the same as a minor exorcism, but more powerful because now it has the backing of the Catholic Church. Magnot ultimately performed three major exorcisms on almonds, two in English and the last one in Latin, in June 2012 at his Maryville church. During each, Magnot said he praised God and condemned the devil. He pressed a crucifix against almonds' head as he spoke. I cast you out, clean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every specter from hell, and all of your fell companions, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Magnot said his voice continued to get louder and more forceful until the demon weakened. He could say that he tell how strong the demon was by how much the almonds were convulsing. Two police officers who had kept in touch with Magnot since the home investigation stood nearby in case the almonds would need to be restrained. Almond said she prayed with Magnot until it became too painful. She said she felt as if something inside her was trying to hold on and inflict pain to her at the same time. She said it was different from a natural pain, but was as intense as giving birth. I was hurting all over, inside and out, she remembered. I'm trying to do my best and be strong. Eventually, Magnot said almonds fell asleep. She said that was the demon's way of lessening the ritual's effect. In between the second and third exorcisms, Magnot said he went on a retreat. A woman who assisted Magnot with some of the exorcisms helped set up a backup plan in case almonds had problems while Magnot was gone. The woman wrote a long demon name, Magnot said he couldn't remember which one it was, on a piece of paper, tucked it in an envelope, and then she surrounded it with blessed salt. If Almonds had problems, the woman would burn the envelope. By this time, Almonds and her mother had moved back to Indianapolis, but they drove back for the exorcisms and court hearings, as her children were still in DCS care. Magnot said he blessed the family's new home to prevent more problems, but Almonds called while Magnot was on his vacation, complaining of bad dreams. So the woman burned the envelope. She saved the ashes to burn later in a church bonfire. After that, Almond said her nightmares ended. In the final exorcism, at the end of June 2012, Magnot said he prayed and berated the demons in Latin rather than English. Police officers did not attend. So Magnot said his brothers stood guard. Magnot said Almond's convulsed while he condemned the demons, but did not convulse during prayer. When she fell asleep, he said the words of thanksgiving. It would be the last time Almond saw Magnot. She and her mother drove back to Indianapolis, where they say they now live without fear. Almond's old home on Carolina Street became an object of local curiosity, so much so that the owner and landlord, Charles Reed, called the Gary Police Department to ask officers to stop driving by the house because it was scaring off new tenants. He said there's no problems in the house before or after Almond's and her family lived there. Look, I thought I heard it all, said Reed who's been a landlord for 33 years. This was a new one to me. My belief system has had a hard time jumping over that whole bridge. When he told the Catholic Church's involvement in the situation, however, Reed said that made him a little less skeptical. Almonds regained custody of her three children in November of 2012, about six months after they had been removed. DCS continued to check in on the children to make sure they were going to school until the case was closed in February of 2014. Almonds called her children the return the happiest day of her life. She said they screamed and jumped up and down when she picked them up from the DCS office in Gary. Oh, it was just awesome, Almond said. I hadn't been that happy in God knows how long. The children said they felt safe after they left the house on Carolina Street. The family said the three left their demonic voices and complaints all behind them. No demonic presences or spirits in the home. DCS family case manager Christina wrote in a team meeting notes dating January 10th, 2013. 
and she did not return any calls from the Indianapolis Star to get any more comments. The family is no longer fixated solely on religion to explain or cope with the children's behavioral issues, she and her supervisor wrote in a request for dismissal of wardship. For her part, Almond said it was not the psychologist who resolved her problems, but God. When you hear something like this, she said, don't assume it's not real, because I've lived it, and I know it's real. And there you have it. That is the exorcism in Indiana. Are you surprised at all that it took place in Gary, Indiana? Because I'm not. I'm not surprised one bit. When I was reading this and it was in Gary, I was like, yeah, of course it would be. Of course it would be in Gary. There's so much to unpack here. <laughs> Besides, uh, you know, all hail to the internet for uh, for giving us those powers to, uh, <laughs> to exercise the demons. Um, man, happy Halloween, guys. I hope you enjoyed this story. Um, and I have plenty more coming out and, um, I don't know, don't, uh, don't get possessed or anything or do. It's probably great for cardio. If I could do like a temporary possession for just like 30 minutes or something. All right. I'll see you guys next Monday.